you ever wish that you could have a therapist as a friend? Well, now's your chance. I'm Marianne Griffith, and I'm the host of the Renewal Session Podcast, where each week we have real conversations about the messy and the meaningful things of life with me and some of my friends. I'm a therapist who's passionate about helping people break free of strongholds and create a better life. Pull up a seat and let's dive in to a real conversation. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Renewal Session. I'm Marianne, and I have with me my co-host and daughter, Katie. Hey, how's it going? I think it's going pretty good. Good. I'm it's glad like to be back. in here. Huh? It's kind of rainy here. It's been raining here a lot, too. I don't know what's it's up with out. It's like a hot rain. Yeah. So, okay. So today, what are we talking about? We're talking about your favorite book. And actually, I think we're starting a new series on it, aren't we? Yeah. I, def- I definitely have it and I've been reading it. So I'd be disappointed if we weren't. Yeah. No, um, we definitely are going to be talking about it because yeah. it is my favorite book and it's called Living Buddha, Living Christ. And it is written by Nobel Peace Prize winning Buddhist monk. And I'm going to let you say the name because I don't ever get it right. <laughs> It is Tick Not Han. Tick okay. Not Han. Yep. That's his name. Yep. <laughs> and I I love this book. I own three copies of it. Why? Simply because I don't want to ever lose it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if I own three of it, I'll, I'll always have one available. But just so we know, I probably yeah. have like 15 Bibles too. I know you are a book collector and I think this is the one, it was so funny because you said you wanted to do a series on this and I remembered back and there was one point we were having like a hypothetical conversation of like if the house burned down, what would be like five things you would grab? And your first thing out the gate that you said was you would buy your original copy of Living Buddha, Living Christ, which is like this really precious little red thin book that you've had for like ever. I would like to believe that it was in my top five, but I don't want to believe that it was the first thing I said. I would hope to God it would be like you and your brother and your father, my Bible, and then Mm -hmm. living Buddha, living Christ. No, my memory is pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I know it was at least in the top three. It was. I mean, it is definitely one of my favorite books. So we are definitely going to spend some time this month talking about the principles that he presents in the book and some takeaways that I've had through the years because I've probably read it now, I don't know, 10 times. I would maybe. not be surprised by that. Yeah. 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 And I've, and I've read it no times. So this is really good. This is a good start. You have a way, way bigger advantage here, but I'm going to try to keep up. <laughs> okay. Okay. So where do we start? Well, I guess my question is how, so I know that you love this book, but where did you find this book? So it, it's, it starts with a love story. Oh, (laughs) okay. Did you just go, oh, no, I was thinking it was like a Bible study kind of thing. This is taking a turn, but go ahead. Okay. So when I was growing up, I went to church a lot and I was a part of a youth group Um, And there was this really good looking boy in the student (laughs) group and he just was interesting. His dad was an anthropologist. His mom was a philosophy professor at one of the big colleges in town. Um, He just was well-read. Like he was probably the first person that when I went over to his house, 
his parents had like a whole wall full of books. Like, wow. Like the whole wall was a bookcase and it was, there was no version of like decorating on it. It was just book after book after book, like a library. Like books that you know that they've read them. Yeah. And they were like books I'd never heard of. It wasn't like I was looking up there and seeing, you know, I don't know, Danielle Steele and James Patterson books. Not that those are fine books to have on everywhere. Yeah. But it was, it was just like an eclectic library of things. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, these people are really smart. And so anyway, he was reading a book at the time called the Tao of Pooh. And I wanted to be cool. And so I went out and got the Tao of Pooh because I was like, I'm going to read this and we're going to be so smart and he's going to be impressed with me. And who knows, maybe this could turn into a real relationship because Mm -hmm. I read this book. So that was like the first introduction to reading things about Eastern religions or philosophies and that type of thing. Fast forward, I think that kind of birthed a little bit of a curiosity. Now, by nature, I'm a very curious person. I would say that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very interested in a lot of different things and hearing a lot of different perspectives. So fast forward, when I think there had been an emerging trend kind of showing up about contemplative practices or mindfulness, loving kindness, compassion. I started to hear those words more often and somebody had referenced this author and I looked and at some of the titles and living Buddha, living Christ came up and I was like, uh, what's that? Mm. And so I immediately got it and I took it with me on a trip, um, to visit a friend of mine. And it was like an electricity was running through my brain that whole week. I was reading this book and it was so powerful. We were sitting on the beach. I'll never forget. We're sitting on the beach and I was reading things. And as I was reading them, I was literally going, Oh my gosh, listen to this. And I'd read it out loud to her and then we would process it. And it was like, I was hearing, I was hearing words and concepts that aligned with my faith, right? but deepened my connection to my faith. It wasn't, it it didn't contradict my faith, um, but it gave me new language, I guess, is what I would say to describe like a just a different kind of spiritual depth, depth. Yeah. That, that well, there's like complexity but, to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think why I loved it also has something to do with, I had become um, apathetic to mm-hmm. some of the language that gets used typically in church settings. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was like, yeah, yeah. I heard that been there, done that. Right. And then I read this book and there was new language put on top of things that I had heard my whole life, but just, just that tweak right. made it burst alive again, where I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to say that. And so yeah. it felt very transformative, very awakening, if you will. Yeah. Um, oh. And I think that's why it made the, the big list, you know, the, t- the top of my list was because as I was reading it, I was also experientially experiencing like a spiritual awakening. 
Yeah, well, I was just going to ask, do you feel like this book, I know you said it gave you language, but do you feel like it allowed you to express parts of yourself that you hadn't explored before or like that you'd thought about, but like were kind of nervous to explore? Yeah, I think it was the first time in which principles were taught to me in, in such a way that I was like, I want that. I want that experience in my life. I want to have to be present. I want to soak in all that what's happening here. And I think because I'm a high octane person, when I read the book and he was validating pursuing a God-given calling, Mm -hmm. but at the same time suggesting that you could do that with a presence of mindfulness and, and that you could be centered and you can pay attention to what's going on inside you and allowing what's going on inside you to be part of what directs you that the Holy spirit was going to lead me towards something, but it was very peaceful. Yeah. Like in, in his presentation. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I totally want this. I think the other, the other part of it was honestly, I just didn't know that much about Buddhism. Yeah. I was super curious about like, okay, well, what is this? And why am I scared of this? Yeah. Well, and I'm like, I started reading it and I'm only a chapter in. And first thing off the bat was it was so readable and I'm not a big reader. Like I, you are like, you are like Oprah in the sense that you go through like a million books a year. I am not like that. And so I was a little nervous to take on the challenge of doing this, but I'm a chapter in because I got it last night, but I'm a chapter in and I was like, wow, this is like really easy. Like, cause it's short chapters, but it's also just like really approachable. So it's just, it's fun to hear what your takeaway is and then be excited about what my takeaway will be, I guess. Yeah. And the first thing I was looking when you and I were talking about like, well, what was the very first Highlight. I underlined or yeah. highlighted. Yeah, I was this was this is what I what I did. Okay, this is the quote, and it's in the introduction. It says, um, "The idea behind the statement, however, is the notion that Christianity provides the only way of salvation, and all other religious traditions are of no use. The added this attitude excludes dialogue and fosters religious intolerance and discrimination." It doesn't help. Now, at the time when I read this, just to give a context, I was probably a year out of seminary. Yeah. And so I had read a ton of books in that process about particular religious experiences, reformed theology, uh, Armenian, Arminius, Ar- I can never say it. It's Arminianism. Something. No one's gonna, no one's gonna fact check you. Yeah, it's called something. But you know, so I was, I was very aware of like theological perspectives and whatnot. Yeah. Um. But when this sentence said this attitude excludes dialogue and fosters religious intolerance and discrimination, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I don't want that to be me. And I had gone to seminary. And seminary was very open about exploration and listening and discussing. And so yeah. I think I was already in that mindset of like, I'm, I'm ready to learn, but I'm also 
like ready to start really listening to other people. Right. So I think I, I didn't want to be intolerant. I wanted to foster dialogue. I had come out of an environment that had fostered that dialogue and it just seemed like the next best step. Totally. Right. Yep. And so did you have like a first highlight in your book? I did. Yeah. I um, didn't realize, okay, this is how bad of a reader I am. I didn't realize that you have to read the introduction. I <laughs> kind of skipped it, but what did you think first, an introduction was? I thought it was like someone's review of the book. I'm I'm just telling you, I'm so rusty at this whole thing. But anyway, what um, was the last first, book you read? I think it was probably like two years ago. Really? I think it was. Yeah, I tried to read a book last year because I know you love books. And I was like, oh, that's such a good, peaceful thing to do at bedtime. And so I picked up this really boring book at, at um, what's that, bar Barnes and Noble? Because I saw it on a TikTok and it just didn't, it was not my cup of tea. But anyway, I'm excited about this one. So my okay. first highlight was for dialogue to be fruitful, we need to live deeply our own tradition and at the same time, listen deeply to others. Through the, deep, through the practice of deep looking and deep listening, we become free, able to see the beauty and value in our, in our own and others' traditions. Yeah. That, was, that was my first highlight. So just out of curiosity, out, out of that quote, because I also had highlighted that, Yeah. what were the words that really kind of like turned you on or you felt very like attracted to in that one quote? I think fruitful stood out to me because I never think of conversation creating like, you know, positive results. I think of it as kind of a neutral thing. And so when I think of the idea of like your, your conversation can create things, I think that that was uh, interesting to me because when I think of having conversation with someone about their religious beliefs or whatever, I think of it as a very neutral thing rather than like actually having positive results or things that come out of that. So I think that was interesting because I never thought of it that way. Um, but I also think of the beauty and values in our own traditions and in others. I don't usually think of my traditions as beautiful. I think of other people's as beautiful. Like when I think of Eastern traditions and when I think of architecture and like things like that, that come with certain cultural groups, I think, oh, that's so beautiful. But I never think of myself as having beautiful traditions. And so it was interesting as I was sitting there thinking like, okay, so when I, when I think of communion, I think of that as just a, like a cracker and wine. I don't think of that as like a holy sacrament. And so it was interesting to me, like, you know, some people in other traditions or religious beliefs may look at their like their traditions as just, oh, that's just what we do. You know, it's, it was just interesting to-, to That's interesting because that you said, I don't think of it as a holy sacrament because I, how would it change if you did begin to put it in, in that line of thinking for yourself? I don't know because I think I have a hard time allowing myself to get to I think, well, and that's why I think this book will be so interesting because he did talk a lot about mindfulness in that first chapter. And I think I have a hard time sitting with myself and allowing myself to really be reverent about something and like to get out of my head enough to like really worship. And so it's interesting to me to think that like 
you know, these things are beautiful when I look at them as like, oh, this is just, you know, the scheduling of a, of a church service. Like that's just what we do. We just do communion. And so I think it's interesting to just reflect on that of like, why am I not allowing myself to be mindful or to be present? Instead, I'm just like, oh, this person in front of me is walking really slow to the cup. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like I should be singing Kumbaya and like, thank what church you. Do you know that you've been to that sings Kumbaya? Well, I couldn't think of the name of the song, but we love you, Lord. <laughs> we lift our voice. That's what I need to be singing on the way to communion. But instead I'm like, come on, grandma, let's go. Dang you it. know, <laughs> so I need to be more reverent. That's what I'm learning. I need to see well, things as beautiful. And, and that's the thing when I read it and I, and underlined, um, this passage, I think the words that really stuck out to me were, was the word deeply. Like live deeply, listen deeply. You know, I certainly think beauty and value and fruitfulness are a part of that, but there was something that mm-hmm. felt very um, intimate yeah. about the word deeply and longing for that intimacy in my religious tradition. And I certainly think I, I do experience intimacy with Christ. There's no question yeah. about that. Um, I think it, you know, it ebbs and flows based on like kind of where you are or whatever. But yeah. um, I certainly feel like I experience intimacy with Christ. But there was just something really beautiful about the language of living deeply, listening deeply that felt very calming. Totally. Well, and he kind of talks about it too, at like later on in the page where he says, uh, you know, he talk he talks about like, you know, how Christianity and Buddhism kind of look at each other differently. You know, like we look at Buddhists a certain way and they look at us a certain way. And he said, I thought this was funny. He said, I thought that because Buddha had taught for 45 years and Jesus only two or three, that Buddha must have been the more accomplished teacher. And I just thought that's so funny because I thought that Jesus was the more like, impactful teacher because he only did it for two years <laughs> like like, I, like it was just funny when he said that because I was like oh isn't it just interesting how the different religions experience each other because I was like yeah Jesus got it done in two or three <laughs> <laughs> talking trash against Buddha or something like, like what the heck yeah. well and he also says we have to allow what is good beautiful and meaningful in other traditions other traditions to transform us yeah which I think was really a challenging um sentence for me because and this is just specific to my life my experiences and my mindset so I don't want to impose this on other people but for me I somewhere along the line collected this thought process of stay away from any other religious traditions or exploring those or getting curious about those because that's the slippery slope that will take you away from your faith. As if, if I look at, if I read a book like this, I suddenly am challenging my Christianity. Like, do I must not really believe that um, Jesus is the son of God and he died for the forgiveness of my sins. If I'm looking at Buddhism, because he's, he's sufficient. And if you're looking there, you're implying he's insufficient. And 
I had, I think that's even part of why I love the name of the book is living Buddha, living Christ. It's saying, you don't, you don't have to worry about the slippery slope. Mm -hmm. This is a book that is going to honor your, your beliefs and your traditions. And so you're safe in this book, consuming and learning and considering this information. Yeah. Totally. But that was a really big hang up for me. I'm just curious for your, for your group, uh, like your age group. And I know you can't speak for everybody, but I'm going to make pretend like you can yeah. here. Does reading something like this threaten, like, do you get anxious about, Oh no, what if I read this and I become a Buddhist and I'm not a Christian anymore? Or do you, how do you look at it? Well, I think that there are definitely people in my generation that do feel that way. Um, for myself in particular, I think that it's just really good food for thought. Um, I also think our generation's a little bit different because we've grown up with the internet and we have a lot of access to a lot of different ways of thinking and we're bombarded with them constantly. And you kind of have to go through every day and select, you know, what are things that feel true to me? And that can change and ebb and flow as you're exposed to new things. But I do think that the millennial generation really, you know, were, was impacted by internet access. And so I think, you know, we've, I've, I've had the pleasure of seeing things and like reading articles and, and, being exposed to different ways of thinking and it not being a confrontational thing and more so just like, Oh, I'm curious. And I think that that allows more room for, you know, anonymous curiosity because nobody knows what I'm sitting and reading on my phone. I could be reading about, you know, traditions and, you know, New Zealand, or I could be reading about, you know, ways of living in the Aztec ancient world and, you know, and nobody would know that. And so I think that it's, you know, I don't think of it as, I don't, I don't think of it as challenging anything that I believe because I think of it as food for thought, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, uh, one of the things that has allowed me to keep um, my mind open is that I, in general, am just a really curious person. Yeah. Right? And, and so I... I, I feel like my curiosity gives, allows me to explore new information and try new things without it being threatening. But because I was raised in a generation where, you know, you really Christianity is, you, you can't entertain other, other traditions alongside right. of your Christianity. It's like the one true faith kind of idea. Yeah. There's no, there's no, um, taking on of what well, I think my generation can call it woo woo, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Ooh, <laughs> we're not going into the woo woo. Yeah. Like, have you ever heard that term? You actually like that you've used that, but it still is funny to me. Woo woo. Yeah. And yeah. so, so I, I feel like there's, there's a little bit of apprehension in me even talking about this book. And, and the things I love about it, because I, I have been, it's been ingrained in my mind, don't lead people astray. Right. Right. And I'm like, I, I want to have a thoughtful conversation. 
Yeah. And I have to trust the harm. Yeah. Right. Like I, I just have to trust that God is bigger than my thoughtful conversation. Right. Right. In the life of that person. But, um, there was one thing that we talk a lot about, um, in the Christian tradition is be still and know. And Mm. he, he says this, he said in the Psalms, it says, be still and know that I am God. Be still means to become peaceful and concentrated. No means to acquire wisdom, insight, and understanding. And then he goes on to talk about like the Buddhist terms for those. And then he says, looking deeply means observing something or someone with so much concentration that the distinction between the observer and the observed disappears. Yeah. And I was like, huh. Have, have you ever had an experience where you have reflected on something so deeply that you feel one with it? Because I think that's something that I really want in my faith walk yeah. where I, where I am contemplating scripture or, or my relationship and intimacy with Christ in such a way that there is a oneness in that experience. Yeah. No, I don't think I've had that. I, I think in my mind I have probably have, but when it really boils down to it, I don't know if I have. Yeah. I think it would be interesting for us this week to just reflect on what would it look, how would my life look different mm-hmm. if I allowed myself to be settled enough to spend time contemplating? Yeah. You know, well, like, and I think that for, <laughs> I'm laughing at that only because I am the queen of like future tripping. Like I love planning the future and just like, what is contemplating, like future tripping. Is that an actual term or did you just make that up? I think it's a term. If not, I just made it up. I, I'm pretty sure it's a term. Okay. It's like, you know how like you can trip on drugs, like you get high off of it. Uh, okay. I get high off of thinking about the future and planning my future. So I future trip. that's a funny way to say that well I just it just is what it is and so I think this is a very challenging concept for me and I think it is for a lot of people my age because there's a lot of unknown when you're 20 something and you're just trying to figure it out and so the idea of sitting and contemplating something I think can cause a lot of anxiety for people because you're sitting with the unknown and the unrest and the uneasiness of it. Mm-hmm. But I think what's so cool about this guy's delivery is that he is basically saying, it's not that you have to sit alone in your contemplation. Like you're sitting, you're sitting with goodness. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's bigger than Christianity. It's bigger than like, you know, Buddha or Jesus. It's you're sitting with the concept of goodness and you're sitting with mindfulness and you're sitting with these feelings of like wholeness that I don't like is such a big concept to understand. You know, one of the things that I thought the other day is, you know, I have a lot of interest in different practices, if you will, that involve like uh, emotional freedom and uh, like spiritual experiences and awakenings. So Right now I'm a part of a Bible study that's talking about a manual prayer um, and how, how that affects our, our, and deepens our walk with Christ. And um, 
one of the things that I was reading out of that, and he talks about this as well in this book, Living Buddha, Living Christ, is to, to spend time quiet and reflect on compassion you have for other people. So mm-hmm. he does, he, he does refer to it at some points as prayer. Um, but you know, just this idea that I could sit on my couch with an intention towards compassion and that I would spend that time really reflecting on sending out the energy of compassion towards another person. Yeah. Like just envisioning the interaction of compassion and yeah. thinking, wow, that's very different than me just saying, you know, dear God, please be with so-and-so in their circumstances. But me saying, let me feel the compassion for this person and their circumstances, because that impacts me as and softens my heart just as much as it is directed towards God, please heal them and let them experience your compassion. So it's the both and of it. And so what he says is, if you are able to be at peace within yourself, then you are able to extend peace to others. But if you are at war with yourself, you will always be at war with others. Mm. And I was like, Ooh, that's good too. You know? Yeah. So I, I want us to try because I know that, you know, we talk a lot about these things and, and then we say, oh, we're going to try it. And then we'll let you know how it goes. But we got to really try this one. Okay, Kate. Yeah, we forget sometimes. <laughs> I want us to just, after we do this, just take three minutes after we hang up from this um, Zoom call and just sit and extend compassion in your thoughts to someone. Mm. Allow, allow your heart to, to reflect on giving God's compassion to another person. Right. So, and, and to see what impact does that make on my state of mind and my ability to extend grace or mercy or, you know, curiosity towards another person. So can we try that? Yeah, totally. I that would that, be super cool. Yeah. I think that'd be super interesting. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about um, some other principles that he throws out in the book. But I think this was good just to introduce. Yeah. Um, the book and to acknowledge like, okay, we're going to, we're going to talk about things that aren't always just cookie cutter things. We right. want, we want to, we want to learn um, therapy principles. We want to be able to identify coping strategies, but we also want to, to really deepen our personal experiences with our faith and with other people. And that means having some of these conversations that aren't so five steps to blah, 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 you know, yeah, a little bit less structured. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we'll get to chapter two, right? I'm already done. I'm going to get through like five. That's my goal. Between now and next time. Yes. Game on. There's a hundred bucks on the table for that sister. Five, five, chapter five. That'll be where I'm at next week. I can't even stand that. We'll see if that happens. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So we're wrapping up today's episode. Let's all take to our couches and extend God's compassion to other people. And then we'll come back and talk about it next week. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. Have a good week, Kate. All right. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Renewal Session Podcast. 
make sure to head on over to iTunes and rate and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. New episodes are dropping every Thursday, and I can't wait for you to tune in to next time. Until then, live your best life.